This is an AMI podcast. Every time I walk onto House of Common Grounds, speak in these chambers, I'm reminded every step of the way I don't belong here. I have never felt safe or protected in my position, especially within the House of Commons. Often having pep talks with myself in the elevator or taking a moment in the bathroom stall to maintain my composure. When I walk through these doors, not only am I reminded of the clear colonial house on fire I am willingly walking into, I am already in survival mode. To the Pulse on AMI-audio, I'm Chuita Gupta. We're doing things slightly differently today. Normally, I read off a monologue, but today we heard an excerpt from the farewell address delivered in the House of Commons by Mumila Kakak. Mumila is the MP for Nunavut and is someone who has made headlines not only because of her uh, being one of the youngest people to be represented in the House of Commons, but also because she is Indigenous and a woman. And so she really is very candid in her farewell address about her lived experience and joining us today to talk about how things have been what she would like to see changed, and what's next for her is Mumila Kakak, who joins us today from Ottawa. Hello and welcome to The Pulse. It's really good to have you on the program. Much better. Matna, thank you so much for the time and space and for having me here. Uh, One of the things that I thought about when I was listening to your words was how much I could relate to them as a woman of color myself. What is it that made you decide that this was the moment when you wanted to speak about your experiences as an MP and what you had been dealing with? I'm really glad that you bring that up and said that thing specifically because I think that a lot of people like to use the term shocked or appalled and for a lot of uh, those that are racialized, uh, part of minority groups, are colored uh experience this on a day-to-day basis and that experience I shared of being consistently stopped by security in my own workplace I realized how how wrong it was how there is a perception that you have as a indigenous person as somebody a part of a minority group as a racialized individual that when you walk into certain spaces you're walking into spaces that aren't necessarily made for you Mm -hmm. so when I had first become a a member of parliament and elected into this position, it didn't really cross my mind that uh, I was being racially profiled because that's something that's consistently happened throughout my life and, and something that a lot of people across the country can relate to on all different kinds of levels in all different kinds of spaces, uh, workspaces, personal spaces, and in all different kinds of services and resources. And if I had decided to bring this to light, if you will, um, earlier, well, like Mark Miller, the the Minister of Indigenous Services, has said himself uh, that he knows that this has been an issue for other racialized members of Parliament. Uh, This is something that has been ongoing. And I'm there to do a job. I'm I'm, uh, an elected individual to represent a riding to the best of my ability and that's all that my focus was and when 
that's your focus and you know that you're doing it in Canada in a place that has systemically been built uh, to work against you, you know you're walking into a situation where you're going to have barriers that others don't. Uh, you're going to have uh, situations where it doesn't necessarily work for you, but it's going to work for every other 40, 50, 60-year-old white man there. Mm-hmm. And that that's very much the reflection that we see in Canada, that the wealthy and the rich are a certain privileged type of people and that we see this horrendous inequality, power imbalance with racialized uh, minority indigenous peoples, um, that we see these imbalances and what all we're asking for and talking about are basic human rights so that we can see this wealth distributed equally, so that we can see people prosper and have the right to self-determination. Uh, what we're, we're looking at and, and talking about is my experience can be used as an example of what is going on in the country as a whole, what is going on for Indigenous peoples uh, on a day-to-day basis. This isn't something that's shocking to Inuit and Indigenous peoples because it's something that, unfortunately, we've been facing for decades. In light of all the exposure that your address in the House of Parliament received, you've been on radio shows and TV shows across Canada, you've been quoted extensively in our print media, it's something that got a lot of people talking. But as you noted, it's not just enough to talk about things. You also have to act on change. So what are you hoping is going to change in a tangible way, given what you've lived through over the last couple of years? I think that being able to have this opportunity um, from Inuit, from the Nuvumut, from those that had voted me in has allowed people to recognize that there are other experiences. There is a very uh, unspoken about Northern experience and that there's unfortunately this uh, misconception that the indigenous experience, if you will, is uh, a whole, is mm-hmm. one specific one. And even as indigenous peoples, uh, there are so many differences uh, within histories, uh, within normalities, within uh, different uh, dialects, types of clothing, clothing and things like that. There is, of course, the commonalities, um, but even within indigenous families and communities there are all there 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 is so so much out there so much Canadian history out there um, that is really really only being we're just I I can't even say scratching the surface we're just looking at it Um, when we're talking about the graves that have been uncovered and we're talking about um, you know funding and and people are getting upset about and and demanding more change those kinds of things are are good and the kinds of things that we do need to see yes but indigenous people have been talking about this for quite a while Uh, indigenous people have known for the most part maybe not specifically where their loved ones are but in the general area of which they are since they've been there and the point is the canadian uh, the federal institutions 
has was responsible for these institutions, for residential schools, for boarding schools, for hostels. They funded uh, these institutions. Never, never have we seen justice that any Indigenous person deserves. Never. We, we're seeing th- this is crime against humanity on a national level. You can't tell me over a thousand indigenous brown bodies now have been found in Canadian soil. We know as indigenous people, we're saying this is just the beginning. And for the rest of the country to finally turn around and say, oh, there was something going on. There is a reason why indigenous people are in the situation that they are in. We have been forced by the federal institution, the RCMP institution, residential schools, uh, you know, and and I can't even stand using the phrase schools. These weren't schools; they were criminal institutions. The point of these buildings was to eliminate the quote-unquote Indian from the child. You can see quotes from our first prime minister: these horrific ideations that say brown bodies are not as good as white ones. And we are still here in 2021 seeing that exact same thing play out. We still see a horrific amount of poverty, violence, suicide, the immense amount of Indigenous people facing lack of basic human rights has been forced onto them by the federal institution, the RCMP institution, and in no way, shape, or form have these institutions ever upheld their duty, their responsibility in any way, shape, or form in even respect of human dignity. There's a reason, of course, why people are being uh, becoming more upset, but people need to stop and and take a breath and realize that uh, there is, of course, yes, reason to be infuriated, but there's a lot more going on here. There's a lot of healing that needs to happen. There's a lot of people that need basic human rights. People need a safe place to live before we start asking them to talk about their trauma. People need to be able to eat healthy food for themselves and their family and stay healthy and in a healthy mind before we're going to ask them to relive these horrific, horrific things. And we need to see that parallel of truth coming out, but we need to see communities be able to live because up until this point, communities still haven't been able to do that either. I'm Chuita Gupta. And my guest today is Mumila Kakak, who is MP for Nunavut, and whose farewell address at the House of Parliament has made headlines across the country. I wanted to ask you, because I think this is something that a lot of people with disabilities can relate to, um, this idea that the discrimination that one faces and the history of the discrimination that one faces isn't overt anymore in 2021. Often everyone says how important it is to be inclusive and to make space for people from minority groups, and yet the racism or the mistreatment of people with disabilities, the ableism continues in an insidious fashion. So how do we address the root causes 
of racism, especially when you think about something like the House of Parliament, where you would expect that everyone should, at least in theory, have an equal voice and that no one should be made to feel unwelcome or that they don't belong or they're just made to be uh, made to feel unsafe. So how would you say we need to get to the root of the problem? Yes, I think that there are a number of things that, of course, people as individuals can do and, and promote within their community. There is ultimately such power in people. And, and that's the beauty of you know, what I've seen in this work, where uh, although things have been extremely difficult at times, that when I do share those experiences or when I do put a call out to allies and say, this is how you can show your support, that there is a, a very, very big response and that people are becoming more aware of what they can do to do their part. And people are, are beginning to realize that they have a, a space that they can uh, fulfill and, and be in as well. And I think it's such a lack of knowledge and non-willingness to share. Uh, I'm really excited for what I would like to, to do next, and I really don't have anything kind of set there. But I did watch, um, actually, let me start a little bit before. Um, so when I had started campaigning um, at for this term, uh, in August of 2019, one of my good friends in uh, the territory has uh, a number of relatives that are deaf. And I don't know sign language, but I know my ABCs. So mm -hmm. I could at least communicate with them that way and explain my name and what I'm doing and, and the purpose and what my goals are. And really, really enjoyed that and realized like, oh my goodness, how many individuals are faced with some sort of unnecessary barrier simply because of how they may have been born or been whatever it may be and uh, had been um, very interested in sign language and uh, start working with the disabled community and had watched um, Crip Camp, I think it's called recently on Netflix and mm -hmm. just really uh, fulfilled and, and enjoyed watching how it really, that's how in people, it's about people coming together. It's about a group of people realizing that everyone needs connection and love and support and deserves it. And that that's ultimately what we are looking for often as adults is fulfilling some sort of, some sort of need um, that, you know, as kids, we're, we're carefree and, and we love and we support and we respect and we learn and, Somewhere along the, the lines, I think we lose that. And um, so to get, get back to, to what we're talking about, um, this lack of awareness and uh, room that gives for stereotypes and assumptions to heavily feed into it uh, when simply somebody who is interacting or is sometimes forced or has to interact with life in a different way, it doesn't necessarily mean that that is the wrong way or uh, uh, something that needs correction. Mm -hmm. It's something that the rest of the world should alter to and, and should, <laughs> this is, we should all be working for one another to support one another. And I can't wrap my head around an idea where somebody is less than because of some, some sort of 
different. Ultimately, we are living, breathing, capable, thinking human beings and people have needs. And in order for people, I think, to have a realization of, you know, we're looking at creating a power balance. We're looking at correcting a power imbalance. And we're just trying to give everybody equal playing field, whatever that means for them. Um, So if somebody needs extra support to get through barriers and I don't, they have access to it. And that allows them to get to the same goals that anybody else could. It's not about treating people how you want to be treated. It is about treating people how they want to be treated. Stop being so selfish. Stop thinking about yourself so much. Treat people how they want to be treated. Become more aware of others and realize that the world is a lot bigger than just yourself. I really wanted to follow up with you about some of your work on the housing file in Nunavut. Uh, I know it made, again, a lot of headlines across Canada, and I think it got a lot of people talking. But since you concluded your tour and uh, since the cameras have moved away, um, I wanted to ask you, what has changed for the people in those communities? Uh, Nothing's changed for those communities or you need on the ground. Uh, I think there is such an immense amount of work that needs to be done that local uh, municipalities are so... Uh, they don't have the resources to be able to do their job. And that was one thing that uh, quite a few Inuit and Nunavut were really frustrated with me about saying, why are you doing all of this work when we know this is something that happens so uh, profoundly in all of our, our our communities and that it's not something we need to uh, bring to light, if you will, because it's something we already know about. But what I understand and what we have seen historically from the federal institution is that they don't do anything good or bad without an immense amount of pressure for Indigenous people. Uh, That works Mm -hmm. best on an international level, of course, but they do do things if we can pressure them nationally. So that the purpose of that was to bring as much awareness to light as I could um, bring people's reality to a Southern audience in a way that a Southern audience can understand And I think what people are starting to be able to put together now is that there is a history there. There is a way that Nunavut was uh, not the territory itself, but the communities within them, many of them were forcibly made. They are called uh, human flagpoles, where the Canadian government needed to claim land. And why did they do that? They did that after... uh, American media came up north and told the rest of the world internationally, oh, Canada's not taking care of their northerners, for lack of better terms. And uh, that's where they saw they needed to do something. Uh, Same with the immense amount of pressure on the UN declaration. Although we haven't seen it come into law, we didn't see Bennett support it until, I believe, 2016, after an immense, immense amount of international pressure of everybody turning around and saying, why isn't Canada treating their Indigenous people the way that they should be? Uh, So I I think there's an immense amount of 
lack of knowledge still, I think people are, are coming to realize that people don't choose to be in this situation. People don't choose to be in a housing crisis, that there is a history from the point of um, forced relocation, uh, colonization, residential school, dog slaughters, TB, tuberculosis treatment. There's a whole list of things that the federal institution, RCMP institution, and the churches did in the North starting in the 1950s. And that included a severe lack of adequate housing, severe lack of safe space. And that is what we currently are seeing continue to play out in the North. And when we hear the federal institutions say it takes time, money, and resource, quite frankly, that's not true at all. We watched them build the uh, the dew line site, the early warning uh, line to track missiles coming from Russia uh, mm. during the Cold War. We saw those things happen in a very, very short amount of time. It's possible when they want it to happen. It's a lack of political will. It's not a lack of time, resources, or money. It's a lack of caring for the people that they said they would and they never have. Clearly, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. I know you said you're not quite sure what you'll do next, but would you consider running for office again? I'm not taking anything off the table. I really (laughs) have no clue um, what's next. There's lots of things that get me really excited. I could go back to school. I'm intrigued by carpentry. I love speeding. Um, There's just so many things. Uh, I love working with youth. I mentioned I want to take sign language. I love working with the disabled community. I really just am not sure what that's going to look like. And who knows, I could go find something I absolutely love for the next, I don't know, 4, 8, 12, 16, 20 years. I mean, again, I'm only, I'm 27. I could go have a career for 20 years and come back before I'm even 50 and decide to run again and uh, would not I would not say I wouldn't. Who knows where my crazy life is going to take me, and uh, I could be back here. (laughs) (laughs) In the few minutes that we have left, we really only have about a minute, but what advice would you give another person in your uh, situation who might be contemplating a career in politics? Think about it. Really, really think about it. Decide it's what you want to do. I wish I took a little bit more time to reflect. I don't regret deciding to run um i'm super happy i'm gonna finish the rest of the term and i've i've so far had a really great one done some really great work and plan on continuing to and that you find your support find your people find the people you can you can turn to at the end of the day and just be silly you and talk about whatever things that bring you joy and excitement and find that and and really have that down pat before you jump into the world of politics and um, then once you're in it make it yours and don't listen to anyone else Uh, I mean I don't wear shoes I wear coming at work um, or deer hide slippers like just do your own thing and do what makes you comfortable and If you want to get into it, don't let anybody else's experiences and perceptions and 
advice or, or talks to you, persuade you. Uh, if Imagine if this is what I absolutely wanted to do since I was a little, little girl. If I wanted to be a politician, um, then I would be doing this forever. It was an opportunity that came my way and I took it and tried to make the best of it. And now I'm just moving on to, to something else. I, I hope that in sharing my experience, it just shows other people that they can share theirs too, and that's perfectly okay. Thank you so much for speaking to us today. It was a lot of fun getting to know you and to hear about some of the things that you have worked on and some of the things you intend to work. Thank you for having me. Thank you for this space. That was Mumila Kakak, who is the MP representing Nunavut, and she was in Ottawa today. If you missed any of our conversation, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. I'd like to thank Mumila Kakak for being my guest on the program. Nasreen Abdul-Majid is the technical producer for The Pulse. Andy Frank is our manager and Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.